Okay, we're at 17, and we're going to try and get through 18, and maybe even a little bit of 19, because they're all kind of this, this similar, almost the same topic. Um, so we're dealing with um, Babylon as a topic, and we're going to see a personification of Babylon in a woman in chapter 17. We're going to see Babylon talked about as that great city in chapter 18. But I want to talk about Babylon and history just a little bit before we get, get into the Bible verses itself. If you remember back to our Genesis study, um, shortly after the flood, it says there was a mighty hunter by the name of Nimrod who tried to bring the whole world together and build a great tower onto God. Now, his real purpose was basically to create a one-world government and to shake his fist as God and say, look at this thing I can do by myself. Um, I can build this tower that your flood can't, can't reach and uh, your fire can't destroy because it's made out of brick and stone. And, um, well, God brought a short end to that when he came down to confuse their languages. And uh, they all spoke different languages at that point. And, and it's where we get our word Babel, Babel. Babel originally had the meaning of the gate of God, which was probably... Nimrod's chosen name for that. But now, of course, it means a confusion, a, a sound of many voices that are, we can't understand because the language was changed. So that's what we learn from the scripture. Now, if we go into some of the other ancient um, history and writings, we see that it continued even further than that. Um, of course, Babel was also turned into the city of Babylon. But out of Babylon came much more than just uh, this defiance of God by Nimrod. Uh, he was married and he had a son. Uh, I didn't write down his wife's name. His son's name was Tammuz. But they essentially created a cult of idol worship based on his wife and his son. She claimed that her son was conceived while she was a virgin. And so she had a virgin birth of this son. And she wanted to rule along with her son as the queen of heaven. Now, as Tammuz grew up, he also claimed to be God. He claimed that he'd been killed by a wild animal and was raised back to life. Um, and from those two, we see uh, the beginning of a cult of priests uh, worshiping the queen of heaven with her son. And one of their favorite icons was the picture of this motherly figure with a small child in her arms. Um, 
Part of the, this cult of priests was the practice of sprinkling holy water on people for a blessing. And they also instituted temple virgins for prostitute's sake. So um, out of the whole region and, and outgrowth of Babylon, that, that, that shaking their fist at God was more than just this building and the confusion of languages. But there spread from that place this cult that spread around the world, around the known world at that point in time. And unfortunately, even today, you will see references to the Queen of Heaven. And sometimes it gets confused and um, Mary, the virgin, the real Virgin Mary, is sometimes called the Queen of Heaven. Um, but it's really a reference to this ancient cult that sprung from Babylon and uh, the worship of this um, mother and child who have no claim to deity whatsoever. So out of Babylon comes great, great deceit and error. Now we also see some hundreds of years later that um, Nebuchadnezzar was a great ruler in the city of Babylon. And in fact, um, God calls him my servant because he's used as an instrument to go into um, Israel after Israel had been living in idolatry for many, many, many years. And um, he defeats Israel and takes a large part of the population into captivity, into the region of Babylon. And we read a lot about that in the book of Daniel. We've, we've read some in Daniel already. So as we get into 17, we're going to see once again Babylon as, as it, it, we're going to, in chapter 17, we're going to see Babylon as um, a religious system that God hates. And then in chapter um, 18, we're going to see Babylon as more of a political and economic system that has caused great turmoil and is cause for great judgment. So as we start into, well, let's, let's read some in 17, 17.1. Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and talked with me saying, come, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters with whom the kings of the earth committed fornication and the inhabitants of the earth were made drunk with the wine of her fornication. So we've got some very vivid descriptive language here, but I want to show you where it is in some other places as well. Harlotry is used in the Old Testament typically as a condemnation of those following a false religious system. And so, Bonnie, I'm going to start with you, Ezekiel 2337. Okay. Joanne, you want to grab uh, Hosea 1 and 2? 1, 1. Chapter 1, verse 2, and then we'll go back in the corner to Austin, um, James 4 and 4. 
And these are examples of prophets, prophetic voices, speaking for God, um, decrying the harlotry of Israel in most cases, um, seeking after other gods, and it's, it's couched in language of, of the earth. So uh, 37 to 30, 23, 37 to 39. For they have committed adultery, and blood is on their hands. They have committed adultery with their idols, and even sacrificed their sons whom they bore to me, passing them through the fire to devour them. Moreover, they have done this to me. They have defiled my sanctuary on the same day, and profaned my Sabbaths. For after they had slain their children for their idols, on the same day they came into my sanctuary to profane it. And indeed, thus they have done in the midst of my house. Ezekiel 23, 37-39, New King James Version. Okay, so the they that those verses are talking about are the nations of Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And, uh, you know, it's basically saying they're talking about the god Moloch who was uh, demanded child sacrifice. And it says they would go to Moloch and sacrifice their children and then come to my house to seek my name. And, 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 and he says, you're, you know, you're, yeah, language that uh, it's pretty, pretty harsh. Joanne, let's see what Hosea had to say. When the Lord began to speak by Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take yourself a wife of harlotry, and children of harlotry, for the land has committed great harlotry by departing from the Lord. Hosea chapter 1, verse 2, New King James Version. Okay, Hosea is a... Uh, boy, I wouldn't have gone been that guy. <laughs> he, the Lord called him right out and says, here's what you're going to do, Hosea. And his whole, his whole ministry was about the adulterous nation of Israel. And uh, he says, you have, you have gone to been with other gods. You have the whole book of Hosea. Um, and actually, I didn't... Uh, Ezekiel, the whole chapter of 16 and the whole chapter of 23 is about that same topic. And then even in the New Testament, uh, Austin, James 4 and verse 4. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. James chapter 4, verse 4, New King James Version. So again, proclaiming and calling adulterers, those who would want to mingle fellowship with God and fellowship with the world and live in both, both camps at the same time. And God says, you can't do that. It, does, it doesn't work. Okay? So, I wasn't quite sure where to where to describe this, but um, this was, I thought, kind of interesting, so I'm just going to do it here. So, so we've seen uh, this woman, this, this harlot, this woman, this, um, as described here, representing um, 
The false religious system of the second beast that we read about in 13 or 14, chapter 13 and 14 of Revelation. And um, of course, once the tribulation has taken the church out, not the tribulation, the rapture has taken the church out, um, it's, it's unfortunately all too easy to see today that there is plenty of false religion that is ready and willing to step in to fill the gap once the church is out of here. Um, so the vacuum caused by the, the church leaving will be filled, but it will be filled by this false religious system. And it will flourish for the first three and a half years of the tribulation. Basically, uh, well, I was going to say there's very little to oppose it, but we have the two witnesses and um, we have the 144,000 Jewish evangelists. So there is a witness on the earth. Um, but still the, this, and as we've seen on the throne, in the throne room and on the glassy floor, there will be many saved people come out of the tribulation. But the multitudes of people, the greater multitudes of people will fall for this false religion. Um, I think I'm going to stop there and let's read some more. Um, so he carried me away. Okay, so this is John talking to one of the seven angels who had just dumped, uh, dumped the bowl judgments onto the earth. So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast, which was full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a golden cup full of abominations and the filthiness of her fornication. And on her forehead a name was written, Mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I marvel, marveled with great amazement. Okay, so, so first John sees this vision out in this wilderness of this woman on the beast. Now the fact that it's on the beast has a couple of connotations. One, okay, so the great dragon, the beast, is of course representing Satan and or his antichrist who was run, trying to run the world at this point in time. So the fact that the woman is riding on the beast is indicative that she is receiving support from the beast, the great dragon, to help her keep her activities going. But it also has a sense of, you know, if you're on a beast on an animal, you're probably in some sort of control, if you think of a horse on, with a bridle. So the, this harlot woman is also trying to control the beast. And, and it just goes to show that when you get a political system and a, a religious system in bed together, uh, they both try and control each other. And it, it, 
it's, it's always a battle for control. Who's, who's going to be in charge? And you can see that in, in, this, in this picture. Um, so there's a lot of imagery. The good news is that the second half of this chapter says, it gives us an explanation for this imagery. So let's, let's go right to the second half of the chapter. But the angel said to me, Why do you marvel? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast that was and is not and yet is. Here is the mind which has wisdom. Okay? So he's get, telling John, you got to think this one through a little bit, and I think that's a, a, a good uh, admonition for us as well. You've got you to gotta think about this one a little bit. The seven heads... <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits. Okay? Now... Most of the time when we talk about a, uh, a, a place with seven mountains, it's referring most often to the city of Rome because Rome is widely famous for being the city founded on the seven hills. Um, what most people don't know is that the city of Constantinople or Istanbul um, was also a city founded on seven hills. And, and that's important um, because the city of Constantinople, when, when Rome as a country, as a ruling entity in the world was starting to fall apart, half of the religious body that was centered in Rome, went and transferred their allegiance and power over to the city of Constantinople, which is right on a little narrow land bridge between what is today Turkey and Greece. And um, a lot of people will say, if we go back to the Daniels or Nebuchadnezzar, I forget the king. The vision in Daniel chapter 2 of the great statue with the gold head, the silver shoulders, the brass, the steel legs, and the two feet with the toes of iron and clay. Well, it starts at the hips with the city of Rome, the city of, or the, uh, the, the nation of steel, and it goes, splits into the two feet, which a lot of people will say are the western half of the nations and religious system, which would be Rome, and the eastern half, which is um, Istanbul or Constant, Constantinople. Um, so, a lot, lot of symbology there. Um, Okay, 
Seven heads are seven mountains. There are also seven kings or kingdoms. Five have fallen. One is, and the other has not yet come. Okay? So, again, if we go to Daniel, we see the, the five that have been. I'm not sure I can rattle them off. Babylon, Assyria, Egypt, Medes and Persians, Greece. Uh, there may have been others that I missed there. Um, five have been, and they've fallen. One is, and of course in John's time, um, Rome was still very much a powerhouse. So the one that is in John's time is Rome. Um, and then he speaks of one that has not yet come. And when he comes, he must continue a short time. The beast that was and is not is himself also the eighth and is of the seventh and is going to perdition. So this eighth, this anti, the eighth is the Antichrist. Um, and his, his kingdom lasts a very short period of time, probably in that three and a half year time frame um, or less. Um, and he comes out of the seventh or the, the seventh, which is the renewed kingdom that, that in John's time didn't exist. And I would say that even in our time, does not exist yet. We haven't seen it come to pass. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast. These are of one mind, and they will give their power and authority to the beast. They will make war with the lamb, and the lamb will overcome them ultimately. For he is Lord of lords and King of kings. And those who are with him are called chosen and faithful. Okay, that's, we've got to wait for chapter 19 for that. Then he said to me, oh, okay, so the ten kings. There's not a lot of real good understanding of who these ten kings are. Because they are still future. Other than they come out of this seventh kingdom they give their authority to the Antichrist when he shows up, and then ultimately they um, go to war against all the Christians. Okay, so his explanation continues. Verse 15, Then he said to me, this angel, The waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples, multitudes, nations, and tongues. Meaning this harlot has had influence on widespread across the world. <clears throat> and the ten horns which you saw on the beast, these will hate the harlot, make her desolate and naked, eat her flesh, and burn her with fire. So that's kind of an interesting part of this prophecy is that these ten kings who are with the Antichrist ultimately hate this harlot, which is the, the false religious system, and will destroy it of their own accord, and I believe that's so that the Antichrist at this point, at this appropriate point in time, will declare himself to be God, move his um, headquarters to the city of Jerusalem, and set himself up in the temple as God. So, now, 
we saw in, again in chapters 13 and 14, I think, where we saw this second beast, this uh, false prophet, helping the Antichrist come, come into further power with the, the icon that talked and the mark and all these other things. So there's a transition period there where each one's using the other one, just kind of like we saw. But ultimately, the false religion system is going to be destroyed as well by these ten kings. Oh, and then finally in verse 18, And the woman whom you saw is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. So I've been describing this harlot as this false religion system, but John is also describing it as a great city. And as we go on into 18, we're going to see uh, more of the economic and political side of this Babylon system. So who is, who, who is this great city? Well, people have said London and New York and Berlin and lots of different uh, cities have been named. But I think the two most, I can't, I can't get any closer than two, the two most likely candidates are the city of Rome itself because that's who was in power, that's who John knew to be a, a, a place of corruption and, and power. Um, but the second one that it could be is a, a rebuilt city of Babylon actually in the plains of Iraq and Iran in that area. Um, Saddam Hussein was trying very hard to get that city rebuilt when he was in power. He had built gates and statues and had bricks molded with his name on them and built walls. Uh, but he ran out of money and power to, before he got it completed. So there is like a half-built city out in the desert waiting for someone to come along and maybe finish it. Hard, hard, I can't say that I know that's going to happen. Um, and there's also a prophetic word that says that once Babylon, or that, that maybe that Babylon has already been fallen and will never be rebuilt. But that one gets debated a lot, so I'll leave that one alone. Um, so Rome or a renewed Babylon actual city of Babylon are probably the two uh, most likely choices for this name of this city. Um, okay. So that's the false religious system aspect of Babylon. Now 18, we're going to go into um, more of the, of the political and economic components of this whole Babylon or world system. After these things, meaning after the vision of the woman, I saw another angel coming down from heaven having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with his glory. How'd you like to be there to see that? And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, 
and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. So we're starting to see that some of the aspects of the kings and the fornication and the... Um, but now we're starting to see the merchants of the earth becoming rich. So we're starting to see some of the economic power that this um, system and or city has had. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. For her sins have reached to heaven, and God has remembered her iniquities. All right, we can see something very similar to that in Jeremiah 51. I'll just read it, um, starting at verse 6. So this is Jeremiah speaking. Flee from the midst of Babylon, and everyone save his life. Do not be cut off in her iniquity. For this is the time of the Lord's vengeance. He shall recompense her. Babylon was a golden cup in the Lord's hand that made all the earth drunk. The nations drank her wine. Therefore the nations are deranged. Babylon has suddenly fallen and been destroyed. So remember when we started the study of Revelation, one of the components that I talked about was the fact that a lot of what we see in the book of Revelation are the coming to pass of Old Testament prophetic language and words and, and visions that were spoken in the Old Testament and are now coming to pass in the book of Revelation. And so God's calling his people to come out of her, to have no part of this worldly system or this city. Otherwise or because you do not want to share in her sins and you do not want to receive of her plagues. In the measure that she glorified herself, okay, no glory to God, she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, in the same measure give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as queen. Okay, remember the queen of heaven? Probably something there going on as well. And am no widow and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine. And she will be utterly burned with fire for strong is the Lord God who judges her. So there is coming a great retribution and a great fall for this worldly system. Um... And then we see, let's go on, we see that the world mourns the loss of this worldly system. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and live luxuriously with her will weep and lament when they see the smoke of her burning. So she's going to be destroyed by some kind of fire event. Uh, could be an A-bomb, could be a volcano, could be the rim of fire, don't know. But 
It happens quickly, it happens suddenly, and it happens completely. They stand at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour your judgment has come. As I said, it happens very quickly. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Merchants of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. That one, last one kind of takes you aback, doesn't it? You know, the first one, you kind of go, okay, yeah, well, this is all fine luxury goods, but bodies and souls of men. And I'd like to say that I don't know what that's talking about, but we live in a day and age where we know what that's talking about. The fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing. Okay. Uh, verse 17. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailor as many as trade on the sea, stood at a distance, cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? So one common theme is they all stand at a distance. They don't, they you know, they don't want to have this come against them as, a, as well. Um, verse 20. A little bit of a refrain from the opposite perspective. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. It's a little bit of a positive note. <clears throat> then verse 21. We have a little bit of a change in what's going on. Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. And um, I'm reminded again of the, the statue in Daniel 2 where it says an angel carved a stone out of a mountain and threw it and crushed the feet. And that symbolized that that stone represented uh, Christ who would come at the end to, to uh, destroy the ruling of the earth by these kingdoms that were represented by the statue and would take over and rule the world of his own accord. Now we have another list. The sound of harpists, musicians, flautists, and trumpeters. No craftsmen of any craft. The sound of a millstone turning flour and wheat and grain shall not be heard. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you. The voice of the bridegroom and bridegroom shall not be heard any more. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. So... Um, Source. That's why I kind of wanted to start with 
the description from a historical perspective of this Babylon system. It started all the way back at, uh, at, the, at the Tower of Babel. And it's, you know, we, we recognize it as part of Satan's plan to run the earth his way. But it, um, it, it's existed all through history. And we see by looking at this and just how bad it was throughout history. Now, I do want to spend just a little time. We're not going to get into 19 very far, but I want to read the first five verses of 19. Because the scene changes. We go from looking at Babylon and the destruction of Babylon, the destruction of this harlot, uh, the destruction of this religious and this political and economic system, and we get a perspective from the throne room of heaven. So verse chapter 19, I'm just going to read the first five verses. After these things, I heard a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and honor and power belong to the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, because he has judged the great harlot who corrupted the earth with her fornication, and he has avenged on her the blood of his servants shed by her. Again they said, Hallelujah! Her smoke rises up forever and ever. Uh, and the twenty-four... Yeah. And the 24 elders and the four living creatures fell down and worshiped God who sat on the throne, saying, Amen, hallelujah. Then a voice came from the throne saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and those who fear him, both small and great. All right. So, 17 and 18 are about destruction, but they're about destruction by God's will and plan of the evil on this earth. Um, and so chapter 19 is important that we begin to see the perspective of the throne room of God about Babylon the Great being destroyed, the harlot and the city and uh, this economic, religious, political system being destroyed, and av it avenges all those who have been slain for the blood of, for the name of Christ that has been named on this earth, and the prophets and apostles and the, the, the people who have been slain on this earth by this system, because the devil hates anything to do with, with uh, God and his throne. So, we see that in the throne room, there's a whole different theme going on, giving praise and glory to God who has accomplished this great turnaround on the earth. And um, I'll give you a clue. Chapter 19 is we finally get to see Jesus coming back on the white horse. We're not going there tonight. But there's a whole different perspective in the throne room of God going on than there is in chapter 17 and 18, which is a vision of what's going on still on the earth and the final destruction and downfall of all of Satan's schemes and plans for ruling over the earth. Now, as again, 17 and 18 are hard to read. 
<laughs> There's a lot of death and destruction going on. But it's God's, judge, uh, God's righteous judgment upon Satan's evil systems. And so we have to, you know, we can rejoice with the throne room and the rest of the saints of God who are in the throne room with him that this um, righteous judgment has come down. The other thing I, that it really stirred in me is, uh, and we've talked about this before, but uh, we need to tell people this stuff. People need to know this is what's coming if they don't turn from the systems of the world. They need to get right with God and with Jesus and, and uh, be welcomed into the throne room when it's time. Not be left down here on earth to, to live through this. You know, hell on earth doesn't even begin to describe it, I don't think. It seems like it might even be worse than that. But it's good to see the rejoicing in heaven and in the throne room because God's plan has been brought to fruition. There's only a few, few events. Well, there's quite a few events yet, but um, we're getting closer to that time when Jesus sets foot on planet Earth one, one last time to rule and reign forever.